You know, even people who know nothing else about Henry David Thoreau know that he said that most people live with quiet desperation. I don't know if that's true. I think a lot of us feel a little desperate about what's going on in our land today. And I do know that some people live with quiet desperation day by day. Their problems are so heavy and they're so unsettled inside and they present well so that people don't know about it, but quietly, they are desperate. I also suspect, whether it's true or not, that most people live with quiet desperation. I do think it's true that pretty much everyone at one time or another has been desperate. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we read of a woman named Hannah who was a desperate woman. Now, this is part of our series that we'll be doing. If you haven't gotten your Bible reading journal, I hope you will, because we're in 1 Samuel 1, and that's the reading for this last week, and we'll move on from there. If you've been to Life Group already, you've already dug into 1 Samuel 1, where it talks about Hannah. But in case you haven't read the chapter yet, Hannah is the mother of the great prophet Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, Samuel's not yet been born. In fact, it didn't look like Hannah would have a child because she was barren, and that was the grief of her life. It was a desperate thing for her. And if you've known a woman in our day who has wanted a child and has been unable to have one, you know something of her pain, but perhaps not really, because in the ancient world, it was so much more vital than even today. It was something that every woman longed for, but it was, it was the principal focus of a woman's life to have children and to raise those children for the generations to carry on. And that's something Hannah could not give her husband, Elkanah. And so Elkanah, following the customs of his day, took another wife so that he could have children, so that the family could continue on. That, too, was a grief for Hannah because this other wife taunted her. I can have children, but you cannot. She taunted her and, and caused deeper pain for Hannah. So this was something that she lived with each day, and then her sense of anguish grew day by day. Every year, the family would go to Shiloh, and there they would worship. At the time, the tabernacle was there, and they would go to the tabernacle and worship God. And on one of those trips, Hannah broke down, falling before God in the holy place, and wept out her prayer to him. It was all this anguish just welled up and she poured it out in prayer before God. She was so full of her emotion that though her lips moved, no words came from them. She was wrapped up in her prayer. When Eli, the whole high priest, saw her there and saw her lips moving but heard no words, she, he assumed that she was drunk. It tells you something about the spiritual state of Israel that the high priest thought such a thing. 
But he assumed that she was drunk, and he comes to her, and he rebukes her. But here, here you are, full of wine. Put away your wine. Well, when he says that, Hannah is horrified. Horrified that, she would, that the high priest would think her to be such a woman. And here's what she says in 1 Samuel 1.15. Not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Well, Eli at that point recognized his mistake and he blessed her and he said, may the Lord grant you your request. He was the high priest and so Hannah took that as a word from the Lord and she was consoled by that word. She went home happy. And sure enough, it wasn't long after that that Samuel was born and she dedicated Samuel to the Lord and he did serve the Lord all the days of his life. So here we see Hannah, this woman who is desperate, who is full of anguish, who is praying from the depths of her soul to God. And from her example, I think we can learn something about how to pray and about how we should deal with the problems that we face. In fact, whatever you face, prayer is always the answer, always. And that's because God is always the answer. People turn everywhere, but it's God who has the answer. Now, sure, God might use many people, many circumstances to meet the need, but it's always God who's the answer, which means it's always prayer that's the key. So let's ask ourselves what we can learn from Hannah and what she experienced here. And I think the first lesson we can learn is simply this, that anguish is a test of faith and a call to prayer. Sometimes we get confused about that. We think our suffering is a test of God. Is God faithful? Will God come through? God's being put to the test. But actually, God's not being tested because God never promised that we would not suffer. He never said that we would not experience anguish, that we wouldn't be disappointed that we wouldn't be burdened under. He never promised that faith would lead us to a place of tranquility above all the troubles of life. He never made such a promise. But some people assume that he has, and then when they have trouble, they turn from God or sometimes against God. Well, Hannah could have done that. It would have been very easy for Hannah to say, you know what, God's my problem. God is the one who opens the womb and God has closed my womb. God is the problem. She could have nursed a bitterness against God. She could have sought some remedy and some superstitious medicine. She could have done a lot of things, but she didn't. Instead, she passed the test of faith. She believed in the goodness of God and in the power of God. And so she came to God in prayer. She poured out her heart to him. That's what we must do. We cannot, cannot allow ourselves to see God as the problem. God is not the problem. God is the solution. Why he allows us to pass through difficult times, I have no idea. 
I mean, there are lots of things we can say about it, but ultimately we don't know. But we do know God is good and God is the answer, not the problem. Jesus taught as much. In fact, his well-known teaching on prayer from Matthew chapter 7 is worth looking at. Look what Jesus says. He, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Now, that's quite a promise, isn't it? Ask, seek, knock. You'll receive. You'll find. The door will be open. On what basis can the Lord make that kind of promise? On what basis? Well, the answer is on the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. Because Jesus knows the Father is not the problem He is the solution. He is the one who is compassionate and ever ready to help. So he says, if you go to verse 9, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In other words, God is a good God. You may feel like he's holding out on you. He's not holding out on you. You can come to the Father and know that when you ask, when you seek, when you knock, God will answer. You will find. The door will be opened. In fact, if you go back to verse 8, listen to what Jesus says. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Everyone, everyone. Did you know that God always answers prayer? Always answers prayer? Always answers prayer. Did you know that? He always does. Now, he may sometimes say, you know, I'm not going to answer it in the way you're asking it. I'm not going to give you exactly what you think you need. My timetable is going to be a little bit different, but I'm going to answer your prayer. If not the literal prayer you prayed, the prayer you would have prayed if you knew what I know. God always answers prayer. That's what Jesus says. That's the promise Jesus makes. And so anguish is a test of our faith. Do you believe it? And it's a call to prayer. It wells up in us and we pour out our prayer to God, knowing that he is a good God who gives good gifts. In fact, so good that if we ask for the wrong thing, he won't give it. But he'll give something. In fact, he'll give the things we need most of all. So we should always turn to God in prayer. Never think of God as your problem. And there's another lesson. It's not explicitly stated in the text, but when you read what Hannah prayed and how she prayed, and you read it in light of all Scripture and what's said elsewhere, I think this comes clear. Prayer is measured not by words, but by weight. Jesus himself said that God doesn't just count up our words and answer our prayers accordingly. He said only pagans think that. Pagans think they can multiply their words and make God listen. But that's not the way it works. It's not the words you use or the number of words you use. It's it's putting all of yourself in the words that you use. It's being fully present. It's being engaged, all of you. 
That's not an easy thing to do. That's called praying in spirit and truth, and it's not an easy thing to do. It's not easy because often we don't even know what's inside us. We don't even know the hurt. We don't even know the pain, the grief. We don't even know the anger. We don't even know the things stirring in us because we don't want to know about them. We live on the surface of life trying to cope day by day, so we don't want to think about that addiction. In fact, we're not an addict. We're not addicted. We don't think about that. We put it aside. That was past. That's not, it's not now. You know, there are people who are sometimes brought into a clinic and in the course of their conversation, even sometimes taking a, a psychological test, it becomes very clear that they are, they are clinically depressed and they didn't even know it. They didn't even know it. They're just coping day by day, living on the surface, not even in touch with what's going on in them. I've, I've talked with people before. I'm thinking right now of a married couple I spoke with one time. The wife was so angry at her husband that she just trembled and sputtered when she talked. But she never admitted she, was, she wasn't angry. I'm not angry. He's angry. Look at him, she said. Look how angry he is. And he was like a deer caught in headlights. And I'm thinking, wow, how could she not know she's angry? Well, she could not know because... <laughs> because she's like me. I'm coping day by day, so I'm not necessarily going to really deal with those deeper things in my life. Now, see, if I'm not in touch with that, I don't bring that to God in prayer. I just bring my problem to God, and, and I'm working a transaction here. God, I'm asking you to deal with this. I'm asking you to fix this. But God always has two purposes, at least two purposes. He cares about what we're bringing to him, but he also cares about our souls, about healing our souls, about bringing wholeness, about, about saving us through and through. And that can't happen if we're on a transactional level. We have to have a relationship with God. We have to get on the relational level. And you can't get there unless you're honest with God. And you can't get honest with God if you're not honest with yourself. Have you ever read the Psalms? I know you have. You read through the Psalms. Wow, those aren't exactly church-approved prayers. Some of them are just wonderful. Psalm 23, oh, it's beautiful. Well, how about when the psalmist starts praying that God will strike his enemies dead? That doesn't seem too spiritual. There's a purpose for God having the Psalms in the Bible because this is Israel's prayer book and we're supposed to bring everything to God as we really are. God weighs our prayers. He doesn't count our nice church words. He weighs our prayers and they are weighty when we are in them and we bring ourselves as we are where we pour it all out. It's amazing what happens when we pray that way. It, it, it's amazing how real God seems when we get real. But I guarantee you, if, if you're not real with God, God will never seem real to you. So it's very important that we get real with God. And then I think Hannah's 
behavior reminds us of something else. Because you notice she's pouring out her soul to God. She's weeping. She is in anguish. But then the high priest gives her the word. The Lord grants you your request. And she takes that as a word from God, which it was. But she just assumes it's a word from God because it comes from the high priest and he's speaking for God. So she takes it as a word from God and God does answer her prayer. But even before the answer comes, she is consoled. She is at peace. She's okay because she believed the word. Faith-filled prayer. I emphasize faith-filled now. Faith-filled prayer begins in distress, but it leads to consolation. It does if you pray with real faith. Unfortunately, that's not always the, always the case. Sometimes we can be full of anguish and we pour out our heart to God and we never get beyond pouring out the emotion. And instead, let's just say it, we whine, we complain. We ask why God isn't doing a better job running the universe. We feel sorry for ourselves. We muck around in all of that. And you know what? It's not wrong to bring that to God. That's what I was trying to say before. We do bring that to God, but you can't just stay there. You can pray yourself into a depression if you do that. What we have to do is to pray, but then we have to hold on to the promises of God as we find them in Scripture, the Word of God. We need to strengthen our soul in the word of God. We need to stand on that word. We pour out our heart to God and make our requests and we hold on to the word of God and go forward knowing that God will be good to his word. We have to do that, cling to the promises of God. I know that's an old phrase, but that's what we have to do. It's so crucial. We see that in the Bible. I mean, Abraham's this great man of faith, right? And Paul says of Abraham that he did not waver. He did not waver in faith regarding the promises of God. He knew God was able to do what he had promised. He didn't waver. Instead, it says he gave glory to God. So that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. We come to God, we pour out our souls, but then we've got a Bible and we, we draw on that and draw life from that and consolation from it. You remember where Paul in Philippians 4 says to the Philippians, says, don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Make your, make your request known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God comes not when you just bring your prayers and petitions, but when you bring prayers and petitions with thanksgiving. Well, why would you give thanks? You would give thanks for God's faithfulness in the past and thanks for the faithfulness God will bring into your life by fulfilling his promises. That's why. And so faith-filled prayer begins in distress, but it ends in consolation. That's why I'm not sure that I'd want to say most people live in quiet desperation. Faith-filled Christians don't typically live in quiet desperation. There may be seasons 
But that's not the normal Christian life. No, the normal Christian life is one where we are engaged with God and have a relationship with God and are strengthened by God and hold on by faith to the promises of God. That is a whole different kind of life. You know, this is true for Christians. It's also true for those who don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can get to know him that way this morning. If you're watching online, you can receive Christ as your Savior. That word Savior is so precious. I don't need to be saved if I can fix myself. I don't need to be saved if I can just clean up my own life. What do I need a Savior for? Maybe a helper. I don't need a Savior. I only need a Savior if I cannot rescue myself from my own sin and my own troubles. That's when I need a Savior. Now, Jesus is Lord, absolutely. But he is Savior and Lord. In fact, I can't even follow him as my Lord till I've received him as Savior. How can you receive Christ as Savior? That's easy. Let the need in you, the need that perhaps you try to avoid facing, let it well up and let it be poured out in prayer before him. Bring yourself, your whole self, to God. Ask for forgiveness. Ask Christ to fill you with his spirit, and he will do that. And then, as the song says, you will never walk alone. Never and you'll know you're not walking alone. You'll have a Savior who's with you. Don't remain silent in private agony with secret sin and constant defeat when you can, even today, pour out your soul to God and be saved. Pray with me. Father, how we love you and we're so grateful to you. Grateful for the grace you have shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank you for a Savior. And Lord, may you, as each one reaches out to you in faith now, bring blessing and help and healing and hope. That's our prayer, Lord. And any God who, who don't know you, Jesus, as Savior, but are turning to you now, may you confirm their faith by filling them with the Holy Spirit. Let them be born again now. We pray it. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.